0: Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 23. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. All across America, the new school year has started. The backpacks are full. The outfits are chosen. The lockers and cubbies are looking all clean and organized. Teachers have energy. Students have much more. And class is in session. So take your seats. Give me your focus. And settle down. Settle down. That means you, Balake. And you, A.A. Ron. All right, listen
1: up, y'all. I'm you all substitute teacher, Mr. Garvey. I taught school for 20 years in the inner city. So don't even think about messing with me. Y'all feel me? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a roll here. Balake. Where is Balake at? There's no, no Balakie here today. Yes, sir. My name's Blake. Are you out of your goddamn mind? Blake. What? Do you want to go to war, Balakie? No. Because we could go to war. No. I'm for real. I'm for real. So you better check yourself. Hey, Ron. Where are you? Where is A. A Ron right now? No A A Ron, huh? Well, you better be sick, dead, or mute. A A Ron here. Yeah. Oh man, why didn't you answer me the first time I said it, huh? Huh? I'm just, you know, I'm just asking. You know, I said it like four times. So why didn't you say it the first time I said A A Ron?
0: It's
1: pronounced Aaron Son of a bitch!
0: Yeah, that's Keegan Michael Key as Mr. Garvey from Key and Peel. But attention must be paid because yet again, there's plenty in America that has me angry, and that has many others angry and should have everyone angry. Because the lesson is always the same. If you're not angry, you're just not paying attention. and attention must be paid. Especially you. Yeah, you. The loud kid in the back with the wacky hair. Donald Trump? Yeah, you, you, Dane-Ald. You need to calm down. You really need to calm down. Oh, 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 oh. You need to calm down. You too loud. And like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. You need to calm down, Donald. And the rest of you, you need to listen to the new Taylor Swift album. For real, it's good. But Donald especially needs to listen up. Because this is my classroom, at least for the next few minutes. And you need to abide by my rules and the rules of the school. And the rules of good order and discipline and the golden rule. Because as we warned in the last episode, there are some very serious storms coming this fall. Political and actual. So we're going to get into it in this episode. No guests this week. Just a fast and furious focus on the facts you need to know about. First off, what's got everybody's attention, Hurricane Dorian. Puerto Rico dodged a massive bullet that is Hurricane Dorian and Hurricane Donald. But the Bahamas wasn't so lucky. It was devastated. It was like a tank rolled back and forth across the entire nation of islands. It's been bad. Nearly three out of every four homes in Grand Bahama are underwater the airport is gone. Countless people are homeless. And recovery from the catastrophic damage will cost billions and billions of dollars. And now the storm is headed for the mainland of the United States and straight for the Carolinas. No matter where it hits, it'll probably be bad. But don't worry. Our self-appointed class president thinks he can nuke hurricanes. And apparently Marion Williamson thinks she can stop them with the power of her mind. The Democratic presidential candidate posted and then deleted a tweet Wednesday morning suggesting the power of mind could deter Hurricane Dorian from slamming into the U.S. This is what she tweeted. The Bahamas, Florida, Georgia and the Carolinas, they may all be in our prayers now. Millions of us seeing Dorian turn away from land is not a wacky idea. It is a creative use of the power of the mind. Two minutes of prayer, visualization, meditation for those in the way of the storm. Her now deleted post, read. That's my Marion Williamson. You like it, but there's that, and there's this guy, who might actually be advising Trump. And I'm sure we'll have a regular segment on Tucker Carlson's show very soon. Can't see how they haven't come up with some kind of way to com- combat these storms yet. They keep saying, you know, two days ago, three days ago, oh, it said this, but it's going to hit all this warm weather. All this warm weather and warm water. We have a Navy. Why don't the Navy come and drop ice in the warm water so it, th- it can't get going as fast as it's going? There's got to be ways to combat this instead of just pointing at the thing and saying, Well, it's uh, now it's getting worse. Yeah, we know it's getting worse. But you tell us, oh, it's the warm weather. Oh, it's the wind. Well, we have an Air Force. Drive some Air Force planes around to get the winds going the opposite way the navy to go in circles to
1: fight it the other way
0: yeah have the navy drop ice ice this lost member of the barstool sports network seems to think that like our president and many others it's our military's job to stop unprecedented storms look our military is pretty awesome and they can do a lot of things but they can't stop hurricanes They've warned repeatedly about the national security threat that climate change and these massive storms present. In the last episode, I told you that they've already seen dozens of military bases impacted by flooding and desertification. And it was only back in March that Nebraska got hit with record flooding, drowning off at Air Force base and Camp Ashland. They were underwater for weeks. And now, Hurricane Dorian is headed for the Carolinas, and maybe Georgia. That means it's also headed straight for military bases— like Camp Lejeune, the East Coast home of the Marines, and Fort Bragg, home of the Army's 82nd Airborne, and Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah, Georgia, home of the 1st Battalion of the 75th Ranger Regiment. They're all likely to get hit. But before they do, you know what happened this week? The Pentagon announced they're going to take $3.6 billion from 127 projects to pay for Trump's border wall. Yep. Mexico's not paying for the wall, and we're not going to be able to buy and sell Greenland at a profit and pay for the wall. And there'll be no increases in taxes, no fees on assault weapons. Nobody in America or anywhere else wants to give up shit to pay for the wall. So what's our president doing? He's taking it from the people that can't speak up, that won't speak up, or are too busy fighting our wars and preparing the new hurricanes to speak up. Our troops. Yeah. Our troops are going to pay for the wall. Trump has pushed for, and new Defense Secretary Mark Esper is executing, a plan to cancel military construction projects at home and abroad. This is dumber than drafting Andrew Luck with your first pick in your fantasy football draft this week. It will undermine our national security. It will negatively impact the quality of life for our military and our military families. It'll slam morale for our troops and it'll make America less secure. Just as a hurricane is about to slam into military bases all across the Southeast, they're pushing this plan. It's outrageous, it's shamefully political, and it's awful for our national security. If you support this, you're not supporting the troops. It's usually not that simple, but this time, it actually is. And Secretary of Defense Mark Esper is going along with it as far too many others in this administration have over the years. This is the guy who used to be the lead lobbyist for Raytheon, remember him? The guy who got rubber stamped by just about everyone in the Senate just a few weeks ago? The guy who is responsible for the leadership and care of our men and women in uniform? And the guy who, theoretically, is supposed to guard our military against the political whims of our commander-in-chief? Well, he won't. And he's not. He's disappointing. He's disappointing just as I feared he would be. If he can't stand up to the president on this one, he should just resign. He has a duty to protect our troops and our military families. And history will not judge the cowardice of him and many others well. General Mattis is finding that out the hard way right now. As I laid out last episode, General Mattis is back. But our hopes for him to come out guns blazing have been dashed he's not looking like Wyatt Earp. Instead, he's like General Milk Toast. Lots of generalities and pulling all his punches. And he's rightfully getting pounded in many parts of the press and the military and veterans and national security space. He's saying he may say more later, but we need him now. And this kind of stuff, it ain't going to cut it.
1: There were many, many reasons, potentially, for somebody such as yourself to resign. Why not over any of these?
2: Christian, uh, if you go into the military, you swear an oath to uphold the Constitution. The elected commander-in-chief is the elected commander-in-chief. But if we're going to protect this democracy, even in its most raucous moments, even when there are fundamental issues going on, you don't want the defense department coming in and saying we're not going to defend the country today the the thousands of young troops they do not get a chance to say "I'm, i'm going to quit today so what you do is you protect the institution you protect the country you stand up for the constitution but what you don't do is get engaged in the political fray, the day-by-day, day, especially right now when it's so corrosive. You don't get involved in that and wonder why the country now vulnerable because you've allowed the troops to be distracted. That's CNN.
0: And Christiane Amanpour asked the former Secretary of Defense, Jim Mattis, when he would speak out in earnest about his experiences in the Trump administration.
2: And this is what he said. "This president, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, uh, they have big responsibilities right now. And I don't believe that, uh, that I add anything to it by representing uh, contrary views or something like this. There'll come a time when it's right for me to talk about strategy and policy. When
1: might that happen?
2: I will know it when I see it.
1: But will it be before the next election?
2: Uh, I, I can't say that. But
1: you talk about a duty. You're a <clears throat> military man. Duty and honor are very important in your life and in your career. Do you believe it's your duty to speak about what you know from the inside before the next election.
2: Well, duty and honor absolutely uh, are important, and you don't surrender your oath to support and defend the Constitution uh, when you leave active duty. But that said, uh, I, I don't think right now for a person steeped in the military tradition, in the Defense Department, uh, that I should be speaking up on things that are political assessment. That's Mattis. Blah.
0: But props to Amanpour for consistently being a rare TV reporter who actually asks hard questions, and she also focuses on foreign affairs and issues of war and conflict on a regular basis. But Mattis, he's not getting it done. General George Washington once wrote When we assumed the soldier, we did not lay aside the citizen. It's time for Mattis to stop with all the general talk and start talking like a citizen one that can make a massive difference in the future of our nation and the world. Mattis is not rising to the moment. And I respect Mattis. I like Mattis. I've been honored to meet him. Once at a roundtable at the Pentagon that I participated in, I met him. But he's disappointing us. He's not above the politics of our time. As the political storms continue and the waters keep rising, He's swept up in them just like everybody else. He's not above them. If he thinks he is, he's mistaken. Mattis is, in this moment, similar to how Obama was in the early days of his presidency. Now, New York Times columnist David Brooks is a guy I'm reluctant to quote, especially nowadays, but he got it right back in 2012 when talking about Obama. And it now actually applies to Mattis, too. Most of the blame still has to go to the Republicans. They've had a brain freeze since the election. They have no strategy. They, you don't know what they want, and they haven't decided what they want. But if I default President Obama, I would say that sometimes he's governs like a, a visitor from a morally superior civilization. Brooks was right about Obama. And that's what Mattis is like now. A visitor from a morally superior civilization. He's like the king of planet Marine Corps but the very best version possible of Planet Marine Corps. And he's not above the mess. Nobody is. Either you fight it or it buries you. There's a time for protocol and customs and norms, but this is not those times. This is a time of a reckless president who is endangering the future of our country daily. And if Mattis couldn't step up and challenge him before... He must do it now. If he doesn't, and he continues this waffling and half-measure shit, he'll go down in history not as a hero, but as a tragic figure. Yet another noble but politically naive general. If Mattis doesn't change his tune, he may become this generation's General Colin Powell. This is his yellow cake moment. His Iraq war moment. And America needs Mattis to rise to it. Speaking of rising, and in other news that you likely missed this week while you were mourning the end of the summer, or catching up on succession and hard knocks, or figuring out how the hell to get all your kids to school in one piece, Trump launched Space Command this week. Yes, really. In every age is a cause worth fighting for. But in the future, the greatest threat to our survival will not be man at all. Because nuking hurricanes is not enough. We need to create an entirely redundant new branch of the military because Trump had a brain fart. Now, if you don't know, that wasn't a real promo for our Space Force, but it could have been. It was actually Starship Troopers, which may also have been the source of inspiration for our president. Maybe he saw that movie that was based on a book that was required reading for most military officers in the last 20 years. If you served, you know what I'm talking about. But you know you can imagine him imagining Ivanka in that movie, right? Well, the movie isn't real. But the Space Force is. That's the real music they use to roll out the official seal of Space Command, which is a giant eagle over the Earth, totally uninspired. And totally, America. And it also has an official flag, which the president proudly revealed at the White House this week.
2: Spacecom will soon be followed, very importantly, by the establishment of the United States Space Force as the sixth branch of the United States Armed Forces. And that's really something when you think about it. The Space Force will organize, train, and equip Warriors to support Spacecom's mission. With today's action, we open another great chapter in the extraordinary history of the United States military. Spacecom will ensure that America's dominance in space is never questioned and never threatened because we know the best way to prevent conflict is to prepare for victory.
0: He didn't sound too good that day. And this plan doesn't sound too good. But the Space Force, the formation of it, would be the first new defensive arm since the Air Force arose right after World War II in 1947. I don't know if they'll have a leadership academy like West Point and the Naval Academy, or a football team. But if they do, I'll bet the uniforms will be pretty damn cool. Or pretty damn terrible. We'll see. Speaking of seeing, here's some really crazy shit that's not just out of science class, But out of a sci fi movie. Stars and Stripes reported this week that troops of the future may ditch night vision goggles in favor of eye injections. Yes, nanoparticle injections could give warriors the power to see in the dark without the bulky goggles worn by today's troops during nighttime operations. This is according to an Arizona State University technology expert and was covered by Military.com. The process was explained in February by researchers from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass. For those of you that haven't lived in Massachusetts, it's Worcester, Mass, not Worcester, uh, and the University of Science and Technology of China in Haifei. Now, nanoparticles that convert near-infrared light into visible light were injected into the eyes of mice which apparently allowed them to see in the dark. That's what the researchers wrote in a summary of the work. They tested the process by training mice to swim through a maze following triangular signs. The mice injected with the nanoparticles were able to find their way out of the maze in the dark. According to Zhu Shan, a hi-fi-based vision physiological expert, he said, quote, I definitely think it will work in humans. The scientists found that the nanoparticles bound tightly to photoreceptors in the eyes of mice and stayed in place for up to 10 weeks with no obvious lasting side effects. That's according to Science Magazine. So the nanoparticles would have the advantage over other night vision technology if they could be safely injected into soldiers. That's according to Arizona State Engineering Professor Braden Allenby, uh, who responded to an inquiry from military.com. He said this might be a way to equip warriors with night vision directly. And because it's temporary, it might be less risky than permanent treatments such as genetically engineering warriors optical systems, which apparently is a less permanent treatment that someone is considering. Nanoparticles might be designed to enable perception of radiation in other wavelengths, giving inspectors and custom officials the power to see smuggled radioactive materials. Members of the military unit might be equipped with different visual capabilities, he said. It will be a while before warriors are getting this treatment, because there needs to be a lot of work done to make sure it's safe for deployment and works as advertised with humans in the field. You think? Holy shit. The Pentagon will love this. Some defense contractor will love this. The VA? It's going to be a nightmare for them. But I know a shitload of class action law firms are already salivating. Just like the Iranians are, and most of our enemies are, because our president, who apparently hasn't had this procedure yet, is like a substitute teacher who is leaving the answer key for the test on his desk, wide open for all to see. In case you missed it, some more reason to be angry. This week, Trump tweeted sensitive surveillance images of Iran. Yep, amateur satellite trackers revealed that an image tweeted by Trump on Friday came from one of America's most advanced spy satellites. And these amateur satellite trackers, they're the guys and gals who studied in school, and they reveal the blatant stupidity of our president who did not study in school.
1: Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think fly thing.
0: The image almost certainly came from a satellite known as USA two two four According to Marco Langbrock, a satellite tracker based in the Netherlands, the satellite was launched by the National Reconnaissance Office in 2011. Almost everything about it remains highly classified. But Loebrook says, based on its size and its orbit, most observers believe USA-224 is one of America's multi-billion dollar KH-11 reconnaissance satellites. The image tweeted by Trump showed the aftermath of Iran's Imam Khomeini Space Center, And it was so detailed that experts doubted whether it really have come from a satellite high above the planet. Iran had been preparing to launch a rocket known as the SAFER with a small satellite aboard. But experts believe it exploded during fueling. The image showed crisp writing painted on the edge of the launch pad, the scorched truck that had been used to move the rocket and some other details. And Trump tweeted it. Awesome. Trump was using the sensitive reconnaissance image to troll the Iranians. again. Awesome. This is what he tweeted. The United States of America was not involved in that catastrophic accident during the final launch preparations for safer SLV launch at Siemen launch site one in Iran. This is what Trump tweeted. I wish Iran the best and good luck in determining what happened at site one. Iran didn't have to determine what happened at site one. The nerds did it for them. This small community of amateur satellite trackers was far more interested in the picture than in the words. And these individuals used backyard telescopes to watch satellites whizzing across the sky. And they know where most of them are, even the classified ones like USA 224. Michael Thompson, a graduate student in astrodynamics at Purdue who spots satellites in his spare time, says they're super bright in the sky and easy to find. Once a satellite is seen, it's relatively easy to work out exactly where it will be at any point in the future. Using math to calculate an orbit is really easy, he says. This is why it pays to study math in school, kids. Thompson was one of the first to use an amateur curated database of known satellites to point the finger at USA-224. He showed that it flew over the Iranian Space Center shortly after the accident. He said, I measured the semi-major and semi-minor axes of the ellipse the obliquely viewed circular platform. The viewing angle is then derived by a minor equals major times cause parens angle. So find the matching angle. That yield nominal 4.397 degrees. The value matches 94423UT and azimuth 194 points. My head hurts. The position the satellite was taken. He knew the view of the satellite pointing toward the launch platform, and it yielded this. A very good match. And he said there was no doubt in his mind the image was taken by USA 224. Guys, I was not that good at math, but this guy apparently was. Prior to the analysis, some experts suspected the image in Trump's tweet might have come from a drone or a spy plane. But Melissa Hanum, a satellite imagery expert and deputy director of the Open Nuclear Network in Vienna, Austria, uh, had this to say. When I saw the image, it was so crystal clear and high resolution, I did not believe it could come from a satellite. But she finds a new analysis persuasive. She said, given that the satellite is in position at that moment, it is now very likely that it was the source of the picture. So this is another one of those math gurus who track satellites every day, blowing up the classified information that our president put on Twitter. Either way, images like this are usually kept classified in order to protect American intelligence gathering methods and capabilities. The CIA, the Director of National Intelligence, the State Department... They all referred questions to the White House when asked about the photography by CNN. And the National Security Council declined to comment. A defense official told CNBC that the photograph was included in the president's intelligence briefing Friday. Trump refused to confirm whether he tweeted a photograph from his security briefing while speaking to reporters on Friday boarding Marine One. Instead, he defended his choice to share the image. We had a photo and I released it, which I have the absolute right to do, he said. When asked explicitly where the photograph came from, Trump said, you'll have to figure out that one yourself. Again, awesome. This is really happening, people. That's deadly serious and scary. And a different kind of scary, one I've been warning you about, has now reached peak crazy. If you've listened to this show for a while, you know that I'm not a fan of electric scooters. They're the measles of public transportation. And they wreak havoc in cities across America and all around the world. Well, this week we learned of a whole new reason scooters suck, one that I hadn't even thought about. Scooter NATO. Scooter NATO! The Daily Beast is reporting that Miami and other cities are preparing for what is probably our worst scooter nightmare. Electric scooter companies are shutting their fleets in warehouses so the miniature vehicles won't become casualties of Hurricane Dorian, where they become deadly projectiles in the strong winds. Miami City Commissioner Ken Russell tweeted on Thursday about the effort to get scooters placed by various companies off the streets. He tweeted, yes, all scooters will be removed from city of Miami streets by Friday. Winds expected to increase on Saturday evening. Hashtag Hurricane Dorian. Hashtag Scooter NATO. Yeah, the Miami City Commissioner is actually using the hashtag Scooter NATO. He said, Normally, we're worried about construction debris. Now we're trying to avoid a Scooter NATO. That's what Russell told the Daily Beast. He said, With more than 1,000 of these in the streets, if the wind were to pick them up, it could certainly cause some damage. You think, Ken? Following an aggressive rollout by mostly California-based technology companies, like the ones I've told you about, the scooters have become a frequent sight on city streets all across America. Now, Florida officials are being forced to imagine what a worst-case scenario could be. Hurricane Dorian could bring winds reaching 125 miles an hour. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis actually declared a state of emergency this week. So as Florida cities make traditional hurricane safety preparations, Now they have a new problem. Could electric scooters become deadly in strong winds? Could they become swept up in floodwaters? Russell's district, which is the only one in Miami with scooters so far, rolled them out over the past four months. It began with 600 and worked its way up to 1,200 as more and more people started using them. Six companies have six-month licenses to operate them. City staff have the capability to see where any scooter is at any given time, Via GPS monitoring systems might be a good time for some of these city officials to have that eyesight implant stuff, right? But Russell set a deadline of noon Friday, Eastern time for companies to remove all scooters from Miami streets, which he said the businesses have complied with. Every scooter company that spoke to the Daily Beast had complied with the deadline and stored their scooters in local warehouses in Miami and other Florida cities. These are companies like Lime, Jump, which is a subsidiary of Uber, and Lyft, which picked up about 244 of these scooters. So this is really happening, folks. Scooter NATO is a thing. In the midst of all of our political storms and our weather storms, now there is a scooter storm. Hashtag suck. Despite the storm of political shit and dysfunction, And despite the storms ripping across the Caribbean and the East Coast, there was some happy and or good news out this week, too. There are some students who did their homework. There are some students that are repping for our school known as America in some positive ways. And some students who are actually learning our lessons. One is Walmart. Walmart announced this week they will actually stop selling certain gun ammunition. They said they will stop selling handgun and short barrel rifle ammunition while requesting that customers not openly carry firearms in its stores, even where state laws allow it. This came after the mass shootings in Odessa, Texas, and followed back to back shootings last month, one of them in a Walmart store. So the Walmart company said that it will stop selling handgun ammunition as well as short barrel rifle ammunition like the 223 caliber and 556 caliber used in military style weapons after it runs out of its current inventory. It will also discontinue handgun sales in Alaska. Walmart stopped selling handguns in the mid-90s with the exception of Alaska. The latest move marks its complete exit from that business and allows it to focus on hunting rifles and related ammunition only. Doug McMillan is the CEO and said in a memo circulated to employees, in a complex situation lacking simple solution, we are trying to take constructive steps to reduce the risk that events like this will happen again. The status quo is unacceptable. Walmart is further requesting that customers don't bring open carry firearms in its Walmart and Sam's Club stores unless they are law enforcement officials. However, it said it won't be changing its policy for customers who have permits for concealed carry. Walmart said it'll be adding signage in stores to inform customers of those changes. Walmart CEO Doug McMillan also lent his support for strengthening background checks and red flag laws, saying effectiveness of assault weapons bans should be debated. And he added, we must also do more as a country to understand the root causes that lead to this type of violent behavior. Yay. These guys are doing the right thing. So when you're buying that new Lightning McQueen backpack at Walmart this week, thank them for doing the right thing. And in a moment that we can all be proud of, this week at the U.S. Open, one of my favorite sporting events every year and an event that should be on everyone's bucket list, Naomi Osaka beat Coco Gauff. They're both exceptional players and rising young stars. They represent the future of not just women's tennis, but global sports. And they're owning the tone. And here's what they had to say at the U.S. Open this week.
2: Once again, thank you, Naomi. I don't want people to think that I'm trying to take this moment away from her because she really deserves it, so thank you. Naomi, I remember I used to see you guys training in the same place as us, and for me, like the fact that both of us made it... um, And we're both still working as hard as we can. I think it's incredible. And I
0: think you guys are amazing. I think, Coco, you're amazing. Now, Naomi Osaka and Coco Goff both grew up in the U.S. Osaka plays on behalf of Japan. Coco Goff is an American. And Coco Goff is a young woman we can all be proud of. She's an American that represents the best of us. Someone who's put in the work. She studied hard. She treated people right. And she did all the right things. She represents the best of us. And as America goes back to school this week, Coco Goff is someone we can encourage our kids to look up to. School is back. Some will hunker down, some will skip class, some will space out and smoke up. but it's no time for us to check out. It's time for us to all continue to do our homework because we'll need everyone graduating with honors and launching into the future. And I hope you'll take the four eyes with you, students. A long-term paper of integrity, a graduate studies lecture of information, a master's thesis of impact, and some extra credit of inspiration. The school year is here, The bell has rung, and it's time to learn. This is Angry American Students, episode 23. Yes, it's back to school time. It's also back to work time. And you probably have to, at some point, wear a dress shirt. If not for work, then maybe for a wedding or for a presidential debate. And you know it. It sucks. There's nothing fun about wearing a dress shirt. Very little upside, but we got to wear them. And we've always wondered, why is no one making them better? Why hasn't anyone done their homework like those satellite nerds? Well, I have some good news. Someone has made them better. The Studious people at Mizzen and Maine. They have now made dress shirts for men that are actually comfortable. They studied fashion. They studied science. They studied math. They studied business. And yes, they have created dress shirts that are comfortable. But how? But why? It's in their fabrics. Mizzen and Maine shirts are made with performance fabrics. That means they stretch and move all day long. We're through the summer. That time is gone. Now you're going to probably have to wear a long sleeve shirt. And when you do, Mizzen and Maine will be there with performance fabrics that dry quickly and whisk away moisture so you never have to worry about looking like a mess. And I've mentioned it before. They donate shirts to veterans. They do the right thing. And lots of people wear them, like NFL superstar J.J. Watt, who always steps up when a hurricane hits. He raised tens of millions of dollars for Houston after the hurricane hit. And J.J. Watt wears these. So does golfing legend Phil Mickelson. If you play golf, these shirts could be great for that, too. Bill Simmons wears them. I don't know if he plays golf, but he looks pretty sharp sometimes. He's the founder of The Ringer. He's a fan of Mizzen and Main, and they're a sponsor of his pod. Uh, lots of people like Mizzen and Main. That's because they perform. And I mentioned the company is headquartered in Texas, and I'm very proud to have them as a founding sponsor of this show. So I've done the homework for you. Here's the cheat sheet the shirts are wrinkle resistant, they're perfect for travel, they're comfortable on a plane. You can take them out of your bag, and you don't have to worry about ironing. And they're comfortable. You can wash them at home. Here's the kicker without paying a dry cleaner. Think about how much money you spend on dry cleaning for your dress shirts. You don't have to do it anymore with Mizzen and Maine. So check out their website at www.comfortable.af. Yes, their website is comfortable.af. Or you can go to mizzenandmaine.com. Use the code AngryAmericans at checkout. Let them know that I sent you AngryAmericans at checkout, and you get 10 bucks off a dress shirt now. They'll have you equipped for the fall and for the winter, and for whatever classes you have in store for your school year. Let it be your uniform of sorts, but a lot more comfortable than those shitty uniforms with the ties that my kid actually has to wear. Mizzen and maine it's never felt better to look your best. All right, students, now that you're back to school, it's time for some homework. It's time to turn that anger, frustration, and inspiration into positive impact. It's time to turn your righteous anger into outcomes. It's time to be a helper and to remember the message from Professor
2: Rogers. You know, my mother used to say a long time ago, whenever there would be any really bad catastrophe that was on the in the movies or or on the air she would say always look for the helpers there were there will always be helpers you know even just on the sidelines that's why i think that if news programs could make a conscious effort of showing rescue teams of of showing who uh, medical people a- anybody who is coming into a place where there's a tragedy to be to be sure that they include that because if you look for the helpers you'll know that there's hope
0: professor rogers was right in every show i offer you a way of converting your righteous anger into positive action a positive action that shows that angry americans can also be impactful americans an action that channels your energy makes you feel good, and does some good. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four I's, integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. And this week, you can again be a helper if you do your homework. This week, many of us will be glued to our TVs, watching the devastation of storms that hit cities and towns from the Bahamas to the Carolinas. And you might feel helpless, but you shouldn't. You can be a helper by helping the helpers. And there's one group of helpers that I've talked about before on this show that are especially inspiring and especially effective. And again, stepping up to answer the call. Team Rubicon is a nonprofit founded by two friends of mine, two Marines, Jake Wood and Clay Hunt. Jake is the CEO still today. He's a former Wisconsin football player and sniper. Clay Hunt was also a sniper and an all-around awesome dude from Houston, Texas. You may know Clay died by suicide in 2011, but his inspiring and proud legacy lives on in the movement he created. That movement is Team Rubicon. Team Rubicon serves communities by mobilizing vets, veterans, to continue their service. It leverages their skills and expertise to help people prepare, respond, and recover from disasters and humanitarian crises. Team Rubicon's mission is providing disaster relief to those affected by national disasters, whether it's domestic or international. They pair the skills and experience of military veterans with first responders, medical professionals, and technology solutions. And in the end, Team Rubicon provides the greatest service and impact possible. Through this continued service, Team Rubicon provides veterans with three things they lose after leaving the military. A purpose, gained through disaster relief, community, built by serving with others, an identity from recognizing the impact one individual can make. And that's coupled with leadership development and other opportunities, and TR looks to help veterans transition from military to civilian life. And they serve the underserved. All across the world, disasters are a part of life. No corner of the globe is spared from severe weather, whether it's crippling storms, catastrophic hurricanes, or unchecked wildfires. And by focusing on underserved and economically challenged communities, Team Rubicon seeks to make the largest impact possible. Disasters represent a massive financial cost. And providing immediate relief work free of cost, TR helps communities begin to recover sooner. They are the helpers. And Hurricane Dorian is being forecasted to make landfall as maybe a Category 3 or Category 4 hurricane along the southeastern coast of the U.S. And Team Rubicon is stepping into the breach. Their National Operations Center is closely monitoring the storm right now to see where TR can strategically pre-stage personnel, tech, assets, and resources to possibly affected areas. Teams at the NOC, the NOC, have issued requests for additional personnel to ensure the rapid response has robust support as they await the next batch of storm updates. And in wind-driven disasters like hurricanes, route clearance is a critical part of the initial response and the road to recovery. And as such, Team Rubicon is already pre-staging a route clearance package capable of responding from North Carolina down to the southern tip of Florida. And at the request of local communities impacted by Hurricane Dorian, Team Rubicon's route clearance team will move quickly and clear roads for first responders and other response agencies on the ground and for citizens that live in that area. This capability is designed to decrease isolation from food and water, increase accessibility to those providing relief to impacted communities, and keep access open to public evacuation centers and disaster shelters. Dorian is the fourth named hurricane of the 2019 season so far. And as Dorian evolves and moves toward the U.S. coastline, get updates on their operations by following Team Rubicon on Twitter or going to TeamRubiconUSA.org. Donate, follow, support, Help the helpers. Help the awesome and inspiring Americans at Team Rubicon. That's one way for you to make a difference. That's your homework class. Get to work. And if you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media using the hashtag AngryAmericans. And let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active. And do your homework. A lot of folks to thank yet again. Many straight-A students who help keep this operation moving forward. Big thanks to a few folks that make it happen. Mizzen in Maine, our A-plus sponsor of this show. Awesome people, awesome products. And if you're in Miami, before the storm hits, you can go down to the brand-new store that just opened in Coral Gables, or uh, you can also check them out in Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma City, or you can go to MizzeninMaine.com. Big thanks to creative Chris Rosenthal, mighty Mercy Rich, Excellent, Eric Shanborn, the whole Rockstar team at Righteous Media. You guys are awesome. Bill Schultz for again producing this episode, Burning the Midnight Oil. I owe you lots of coffee and lots of drinks. Thank you for working your audio magic. Big thanks to Oscar Mike, our awesome merch partners. Check out all their new designs at angryamericans.us now. I heard that Tommy Laren has created a freedom line of clothes that are made in China. She says that it's too expensive to make stuff in the U.S., and she's making it in China. Well, it's not too expensive, and Oscar Mike has proven that it's worth the investment. So buy USA, skip Tony Laren's garbage stuff, and go buy some more Oscar Mike at angryamericans.us right now. Made in the USA by veterans. Also, made in the USA are many of our listeners, and I want to thank them. Every week, I'm going to thank a few Angry Americans for listening. First up, an awesome dude, Brian Dix from san diego california he it at brian dix music uh, he is a conductor and a composer a marine veteran and a husband he is a truly awesome human we met many years ago i think at the white house when he was working in one of the coolest and most interesting jobs there is brian dix is major brian dix and he was appointed director of the commandant's own the United States Marine Corps Drum and Bugle Corps, in September 1998. He was the fourth director since its inception in 1934. Major Dix not only expanded the Corps' extensive repertoire, composing original music honoring America's heroes, his musical message of the Marine Corps has been witnessed by countless millions through live performances and national television broadcasts. Major Dix's work, Reveille, and Tour of Duty were performed at Avery Fisher Hall in New York City as a part of a joint concert with the New York Philharmonic during Independence Weekend in 2011. Major Dixon enlisted in the United States Marine Corps in 1983. Uh, In 1984, he traveled to the Armed Forces School of Music, graduating with honors. He then reported to the Marine Barracks for duty as a contra bass bugler. He was appointed the rank of warrant officer in 1998, and following his completion of the basic school, he assumed duties as the director of the Commandant's Own. In February 2nd, 2010, following a presidential appointment to the rank of major, he assumed full command of the United States Marine Drum and Bugle Corps. Additionally, he serves as commander of the Marine Corps Battle Color Detachment, which includes the Commandant's Own, Marine Corps Silent Drill Patrol, and the official color guard of the Marine Corps. He's got lots of decorations, including the Navy Marine Corps Commendation Medal, the Navy Marine Corps Achievement Medal, and the Gold Star for Heroic Achievement, and a Navy Certificate of Commendation for his volunteer work at the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. In 2009, he was sworn in as an honorary Naval Hospital Corpsman, bestowed in recognition both of his service to naval medicine and his march, Corpsman Up, an original work composed in honor of Navy Corman the brave men and women who keep Marines ready to be the first to fight. And in 2013, a portrait, Corman Up, was commissioned specifically to pay homage to his march for a Navy hospital corpsman. It's on display in Hero's Way at the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda. And Brian was nice enough to tweet, Bravo to Paul Rykoff and his podcast, Angry Americans. You are a true Renaissance man for the 21st century. Just bravo brian you are the true renaissance man that was a really fun bio to read and you are an incredible guy to watch thank you for all that you do for our country and thanks for supporting the show next up terrence wilson from baltimore maryland he tweets it at terrence underscore wilson one his bio says he's a west side kid from chicago a cubs fan remember to like sports and politics do not love it fanatics go too far and he tweeted that he was able to listen to the show on labor day And he posted a photo of himself rocking our very cool black and lightning bolt Angry Americans t-shirt. So big shout out to Terrence Wilson in Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you, sir. Next up, Dirk Patterson from Washington, D.C. Man, I see you. He tweets at Paco's friend, P-A-C-O-S friend. Uh, According to himself, he is a dirtbag lawyer in the nation's capital and godless homo moonbat liberal. Deal with it. He said uh, in regard to the scooters, I hate those goddamn things with the heat of 10,000 suns. Dirk, I hear you, man, and I thank you for your support and your constant support on Twitter and all other ways. We appreciate you, Dirk. Lastly, Amy from Maryland in the USA. She tweets at Madre of Two. She is a proud Navy mom. She says country over party always. Human kindness goes a long way. And an imperfect mom to perfect grown men. She tweeted, thank God for Thursday's Angry Americans new episode. But this being civil the whole week thing is quite challenging. Paul Rykoff and McCain Jack. Well, thank you, Amy. I hear you, and I see you, and I appreciate you. Thank you. And thanks, as always, to my family, my amazing wife and two boys. They crushed it at the beach last week. Monster Jam was in full effect in the sand all week long. And it's back to school. Uh, Very proud of my big guy who's off to pre-K this week. And my deepest thanks to you, of course, for tuning in. Please continue to tell your friends to check out Angry Americans. If you're on an Apple device, leave the show a quick review. And of course, check out angryamericans.us. There is lots of good video there. There's lots of extra content. There's bio stuff, event stuff coming up soon. And we've got all the interviews going back uh, from the last four months now. Many of you have loved the interviews. So go back and check out the video. There's video of almost every single one. Check it out. And definitely, please keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. Uh, Next week, we will be back with a fresh new show. I've got some very cool interviews coming up. I'm not going to spill the beans, but stay tuned and you will hear more. And subscribe for free and share. Subscribe for free. It's free. 100% free. Tell your friends that although they have to quote unquote subscribe, it is a free subscription. And we'll keep this movement growing week by week by week. Remember, students, it's okay to be angry. And no, you're not alone. We're all a little angry, and that's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. I'm your host, Professor Paul Rykoff. I've always wanted to say that. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. Stay vigilant.